Hollow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin has six lines to fit your style and financing to fit any budget. Through November 30th, choose 12 months, no payments and no interest, plus 20% off installation. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. We start off with what I would describe as misery loves company. One of the reasons that we have out-of-control crime in southeastern Wisconsin in general, and in Milwaukee County in particular, I think it is the policies of the district attorney over the last 10 or 15 years, soft on crime, let's turn dangerous people loose, let's try to avoid keeping people in custody, and let's send people out and out over and over again to commit crimes. Um, you see that with juveniles. We talked yesterday about these numbers that about 50% of the cars stolen in Milwaukee this year, and we're on a pace to set almost 10,000 cars stolen, a 30 a day, and of the car thieves they've arrested, almost half, 48%, are people 16 and under who are turned loose over and over again. The district attorney won't waive people into adult court unless you steal the car, flee from the cops, and hit and kill somebody. Otherwise, you are just turned loose back on the streets over and over again to continue to steal cars. And and it's the same thing, which is true. We saw it with Daryl Brooks. The, the big point that I have been making and will continue to make is there are going to be apologists for the DA's office and the court system who are going to try to explain the Daryl Brooks case as an isolated mistake. And the truth is, it's not. This is a policy. There are people who are released or no processed or put on double secret probation who are routinely turned back immediately onto the streets who commit crimes with no consequence at all. And it's just that in the case of Daryl Brooks, he killed six people and hurt dozens more by driving through a Christmas parade. But if you start to look at the crimes that are committed, you would be shocked, I predict, as to how many have been committed by people who are out on low bail or no bail, or awaiting disposition on char- other sorts of charges or on probation. This is part of this overall philosophy that we have had to deal with in Milwaukee County for the last 15 years. But it's part of a philosophy which is kind of sweeping the, the country. There's a number of these new progressive district attorneys who don't want to have consequences. They don't want to put people in jail. And they all get together and they pat themselves on the back about how enlightened they are. Meanwhile, crime skyrockets in their different communities. A little bit later on, we're going to talk about what's been going on with regard to shoplifting, particularly in San Francisco and Los Angeles and New York and Minnesota and also Milwaukee, um, with regard to the fact that, again, shop lifters it's it's viewed essentially as a victimless crime so you have that happening but um, just like you had Daryl Brooks who was released on a ridiculously low bail and killed a number of people New York City going through the same thing here's the deal a homeless man in New York City who was charged with beating a man last year and subsequently set free on bail allegedly beat two women in unprovoked attacks this month only to be released yet again. Daryl Johnson has more than a dozen arrests dating back to 2014. Last year, he was charged with assault and harassment after he allegedly beat a man about the face with a closed fist multiple times in a Harlem building and then used his feet to kick and stomp the victim. He was released without bail. 
He was released without bail. He then, while out on bail, allegedly beat two women in unprovoked attacks last Thursday morning in Manhattan. In one of the attacks, he left a 50-year-old woman with a disfiguring laceration to her face in a violent, unprovoked attack. Three minutes later, he reportedly walked up to a 32-year-old victim on West 80th Street, punched her, causing redness and swelling. Both women required hospitalization. Johnson was taken to court on Friday over the attacks. Now, keep in mind, he's already out on essentially no bail, waiting for the charges of, of the beating from a year ago. So he's taken to court, so he's out. He attacks two women separately. In one case, a severe disfiguring laceration to her face. Taken to court on Friday over the attacks, Manhattan prosecutors recommended he be released under supervised monitoring. The judge agreed with the recommendation. The district attorney's office said that the charges in the attack Brutally beating two women, disfiguring one, were not sufficient to ask that he be held on bail. <laughs> so th- this, I mean, it's in the category of misery loves company. You have a number of these progressively educated district attorneys who have decided that they, because they are enlightened, they know more than the general public, that their philosophies are going to be, let's keep putting people out on the streets to commit crime after crime after crime. And, you know, if you're a victim, you know, too bad, we're willing to live with that. So bottom line of all this is as bad as it is in Milwaukee County, and it's really bad, other cities, exactly the same. New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, progressive district attorneys who have decided that they want to come up with other ways than protecting the public. And as a result, they would rather put dangerous people back out on the street over and over again to terrorize the community rather than lock them up. And it's not going to change until people in the various communities rise up and say enough is enough, whether it's recalls, whether it's using the electoral process. This idea of let's not have consequences doesn't work and it leaves people dead in Waukesha. It leaves people disfigured on the streets of New York. It leaves businesses closing right and left on the West Coast because of the out-of-control shoplifting. And I understand there's some people who just, oh, this Daryl Brooks thing, it was a one-off. No, it's part of an overall philosophy that has put us all at risk. All right, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I, I link to a very interesting story um, that w- was on today's TMJ4. Um, here's, here's what it says. Now, right now, you have, I, I think in part, because it's getting colder again, and you're seeing that this seasonal stuff, and I believe this is going to happen, you know, moving forward, more people are going back inside, and you're seeing a spike in the numbers of COVID, to the point that you have a number of hospitals, particularly some of the smaller hospitals and some of the more rural areas, that are at their capacity, and they're, they're trying to say, okay, well, we've got all these patients that are coming in, and we need to find, you know, places to put them, and they're calling some of the larger hospitals, and, and it's a struggle, because, again, you have patients that are being hospitalized with COVID. The vast majority of people who end up in the hospital are unvaccinated. That is just the reality. You, you can't, you, you cannot, you cannot dispute that. Is it possible that somebody who has been vaccinated can end up in the hospital? Yes, but that's that. That's not. That is not the vast majority of the numbers. I think last numbers I saw were like eighty to eighty-five percent. Eight 
to nine out of 10 people that are in the hospital with COVID related problems are unvaccinated. It's not a guarantee that you won't get COVID if you're vaccinated, but your chances of ending up in the hospital are not very great. And it's almost non-existent unless you're somebody that again fits into that category of a compromised immune system or something like that. So that that's just, that is the reality. That's what the numbers are. So, all right, Milwaukee County, they are now, let's see, there's a, a resolution that went through a planning committee that was just approved, I believe, uh, either yesterday or today. The resolution would declare health misinformation as a public health crisis. And the proponent of it is one of the Milwaukee County Supervisors, Sheldon Wasserman, who's an, um, he's an OBGYN, as I recall, practicing physician. And he says false information about COVID-19 is a big reason why some people are choosing not to be vaccinated. He says he's constantly having conversations with his patients and some of them aren't listening to him. He says, I had one long conversation with a patient on this topic. And during the conversation where I'm presenting information to her, she listens usually, but now she put her hand up right in my face. And she said, stop. I don't want to talk to you about this anymore. I'm right. You're wrong. I don't believe you. Okay. Um, so they're saying, doctor, I hear you talking, but you're not coming in. I, I don't don't want to hear this anymore. So the county board is saying, well, what we want to do is we want to declare health misinformation to be part of a health crisis, which to me raises this question of who exactly gets to decide what is health information, misinformation? Is it the county board? Is it Tony Evers? Is it the CDC? Is it the World Health Organization? Is it Anthony Fauci? Is it Joe Biden? I mean, who, who gets to decide what is true and and what isn't. And again, this comes from a perspective of somebody who has been vaccinated and has had his booster shot. And I'm I'm comfortable with that. I, I believe vaccinations are significantly if you want to lessen the risks of getting COVID and being seriously ill from COVID, I, I think vaccinations are the way to go. So I, I would encourage people to do it. But at the same time, there, there's this attitude that's out there that if you don't follow this line of thinking if you don't do what sheldon wasserman wants you to do if you don't do what tony evers wants you to do if you don't do what anthony fauci wants you to do you must somehow have been misled or you must be stupid or you must be unreasonable and and i don't know that that's that that's a fair assessment. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you are not vaccinated, I would like to talk to you. And my question is, why? Why have you made that decision? I think in the state of Wisconsin right now, you have 59% of the population that has had one do- at least one dose of the vaccination. In uh, Milwaukee County, I think it's like 56%. Now, I, um, you know, so th- th- those are where, those are where the numbers are. So obviously, there is a significant percentage of people who have chosen, for whatever reasons, not to get vaccinated. Up 40%. Now, I don't, I don't get it. I, I went the other way. But there is this attitude that's out there, at least among some, is that if you are one of the four out of 10 people who've decided not to get vaccinated, you're dumb. You're, you've been misled. You've been duped. And, and I don't know if that's fair. So if you're not vaccinated, why? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, the Milwaukee County Board is about to pass a resolution saying that health misinformation is a health crisis. Well, okay, that's fine. And one of the supervisors, again, Sheldon Wasserman, who's a, a practicing doctor, and he says, hey, I, I have this conversation with my patients. I tell them they should get vaccinated, and they, they tell me stop, that they, they don't want to hear this, that they disagree with me. Well, okay, that's fine. Now, this is from my perspective as somebody who has been vaccinated. I, d- does that mean that the 40-plus percent of people in Wisconsin who've made the decision not to get vaccinated, are, are they are they stupid? Are they irresponsible? I mean, is it that you've been duped by the media, or is there something else going on here? Because the question is going to be, who gets to decide what is what is medical misinformation? I mean, if we disagree with something that Anthony Fauci says, are we misinformed or are we dumb? What about the CDC, if you disagree with that? And candidly, like the World Health Organization has disagreed with the CDC. My, my question is, who gets to decide what is a medical truth and what isn't? Let's start with Brad in Waukesha. Brad, you're on WTMJ. Yep. My wife and I both had COVID in February, so we've had our blood work done in the last month or so as well, and we still have high antibodies, so see no reason to take a medication that we're already immune to. Okay, so you just... For something that we're already immune to. In general, Brad, are you anti-vaccination? I mean, measles shots and things like that, or is it just in this particular case you think you're immune to it and, and it and you don't need it? No, I'm not anti-vaccination, but I don't ever get flu shots or anything like that either. Okay, good enough. All right, thanks for the call. And, and what Brad is saying is what's reflected in a number of the texts I'm getting. People are saying, we had COVID. We believe that we've got this natural immunity that's there. And, you know, we, we just we don't think we need the vaccination on top of it or we choose not to get the vaccination on top of after already having it. Is is that, are they stupid? Is that an unreasonable position to take? And I guess that's, that that's this idea. Are they part of medical misinformation because they feel that way? And again, I understand the the prevailing attitude among doctors is even if you've had it, you're better off. Even if you've got antibodies, it, it's better off to get the vaccinations on on top of it. And Anthony Fauci is out there saying today, by the way, that the definition of fully vaccinated at some point in time in the future doesn't say when that's going to change. If you don't have your booster shot, sometime you're going to be considered to be not fully vaccinated. So th- this this medical advice changes constantly 855-616-1620 let's talk to uh, ben and beaver dam ben you're on wtmj good afternoon uh yeah hi how's it going real well um, thank you you know i'm not vaccinated obviously um i've kind of taken a wait and see approach on everything and uh since then i've obviously found out that they've used aborted fetal tissue either in the development or testing of it and it's a disease that at my age i'm just in my 40s. I eat a super healthy diet. I'm in shape. I'm active. Uh, I'm at pretty much no risk for this uh, disease. I've seen 85-year-old in-laws of mine get it and make it through fine. I don't yet know a single person that's died from it. And these aren't classic vaccines. They're actually gene therapies, which, uh, you know, obviously some of the people that are in charge of this whole situation have kind of brought up that like in the past if they didn't have everyone so scared about it they would have maybe only gotten five percent compliance but they're 
They're using this fear and this cult-like, we all have to get vaccinated, and that just makes me very leery. Ben, do you have do you consider yourself to be a victim of, of medical misinformation? You know, because the, the prevailing thought is, Ben, those things that you just talked about, you know, no, no rational person, if it wasn't for the fact that you were essentially brainwashed, nobody could think the way you think. Yeah, no, not at all. Actually, you know, like when my kids were born, they got all their vaccines, and I actually got some misinformation then. I... Uh, one of the vaccines that needs to be done right at birth. It's a herd immunity one in case the mother has uh, something she can pass on to the kid. We had a wait-and-see approach initially on it, and then two days later they said, you know, you really should get it before you leave, and ended up finding out later that if you didn't get it right away, they kind of gave one of my kids a vaccine that wasn't needed. So I I am leery of Mm -hmm. uh, experts that are so tied into the pharmaceutical industry. Does it bother all my vaccines? Okay, does it bother you? Well, no, does it bother you? I mean, the, the hard numbers are when you look at all these hospitalizations, and hospitalizations are through the roof. I, I mean, the numbers are that eighty plus percent of the people that are hospitalized with COVID are unvaccinated. Th- does that give you any sort of pause at all? Uh, a lot of those numbers are going back to January time frame. They're using the overall picture where not very many people are vaccinated yet, so that kind of skews that number, and. Uh, I think it's something like 78% of people who have been hospitalized with COVID are overweight or obese, and yeah. I don't come anywhere near that, and I get plenty of vitamin D. I okay, all right, good enough. and vitamin C. So. Okay, got it. No, thanks for calling. And, and this is the, the purpose of this topic isn't to beat up people who are have made the decision not to get vaccinated. It's I, I have a legitimate curiosity about this because the, the conventional attitude is if you've made that decision, you're – You've, you've essentially been brainwashed, you're duped, you're stupid, whatever, because, and, and again, I, I'm, I'm vaccinated. I got the booster shot. I, I think that that, and I had COVID too. I think that that gives me the, the best shot of, of not getting it again, and I don't want to be hospitalized, and I don't want to die from this. But So that's the decision I've made. But, I mean, 40-plus percent of people in Wisconsin have made the decision not to get vaccinated, and the attitude is, well, obviously there, there's something going on, there's something wrong with you if you've come to that conclusion you are a victim of medical misinformation and i think it's more complicated than that we pick it up right there in just a moment you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj 855-616-1620 which is the acunet mortgage talk and text line chris and wawatosa chris good afternoon Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing? I am well, thank you. Okay, about 40% of Wisconsinites have made the decision so far not to get vaccinated. And I assume at this point it's, it, is a, it is a decision. Are, are they doing that because of medical misinformation, or, or what do you think is going on? Well, you know, at this point I'm, I'm kind of dumbfounded. Um, I, I work in healthcare, um, and the majority of the patients that we have admitted into the hospital are unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what dumbfounds me even more than that is the fact that they're unwilling to get the vaccination, which is FDA approved, proven safe. Um, yet when they're admitted to the hospital, they end up uh, opting for every immunologic therapy Um, that is not necessarily FDA approved in order to try and stop COVID from progressing, but Mm -hmm. there is no magic pill. Mm -hmm. So what, so what do you think is going on? Why have 40% of, of Wisconsinites 
ballpark made the decision not to get vaccinated because you're right i mean you you look at these hospitalization numbers and over 80 percent of the people that are being hospitalized are people who are unvaccinated correct yeah so i'm not sure at this point why people aren't being vaccinated and i really hope it's not political um but you know when when someone comes into the hospital let's say that they have a, a viral upper respiratory infection that they thought they were sick enough to come into the hospital and then we offer them the vaccine when they test po- uh, when they test negative i'm sorry um they still won't take it and so i i really don't know at this point what what is in people's mindsets or why people are unwilling to take the mm-hmm. step to get vaccinated to protect themselves and everybody else my sense chris is that people are pretty much also now dug in on this uh by that i mean i think people have either decided they're going to get vaccinated and if so that they have been vaccinated or or they're not i mean i guess i'm i'm not sure short of the government mandating stuff and going you know or employers you're across the board saying you're going to lose your job unless you get vaccinated i'm not sure there's anything that anybody can do that's going to dramatically increase these numbers and I, I completely agree. And that's so the Biden administration, when they put the travel ban up uh, for South Africa, the argument that they made was let's let's take a break here and let's put a stop to the travel so that other people can get vaccinated and protect themselves. And I really like I, I completely agree with you. I do not believe that any variant or, or any other thing is going to uh, provoke people to get the vaccine, which is safe. Um, and proven effective uh, for the the majority of the population. Okay, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. I mean, I guess part of it is it, it just is what it is. But I, I, I guess my point is I, I'm, I, I know that there is this attitude for people like myself who are, are vaccinated who sit and say, okay, anybody who's not been vaccinated must have been duped. I, I think it's a more complex thing than, than that. And if we're going to try to convince more people to get vaccinated, maybe the, the approach needs to change. In addition, I think one of the things that's going to make a really big deal with this for most people is once they develop the treatments, like so, so now they have, what is it, Tamiflu, you get, you know, you get, if you come down with the flu vaccinated or not, um, what you can do is early on, you can get this pill and you take the regimen and it, it minimizes the effect of the flu. I I know that you've got a couple of the big drug companies who say they're very close to developing, again, these treatment regimens for COVID. I think that's going to be a really big deal as well. But the truth is, I, I think one of the realities is we've got to figure out how to live with COVID because COVID is going to be with us, I think, for the foreseeable future. For most people, it's going to be a nuisance. For some people, particularly the people who are, again, most vulnerable, it's going to be a, a major factor, just like pneumonia would be a factor, just like the flu would be a factor. And yeah, I understand COVID is different than that. 855-616-1620. Gar uh, in Greenfield. Gar, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm unvaccinated. And uh, no, I don't feel I've been duped. I do a lot of research, things that I run across online, talking to my own doctors. I have a number of friends and relatives who do the same thing. And, uh, you know, we're getting information from, I would say, reputable people in the medical industry who are raising very serious concerns about taking the current vaccines. I mean, normally it's a two to three year development period and two to four to test. And they get efficacy rates of 60 percent. And the medical industry is going gaga with that. 
This is developed and tested in less than 10 months, made available on an emergency use basis, and nobody right now from Dr. Fauci, yourself, or even Chris, who was just on before me from the medical field, how you can say it's safe, what do you base that on? You have no idea what long-term effects are. I have daughters who are concerned about fertility impacts uh, that may potentially be there. They may or may not, but this has not been fully vetted out by any stretch of the imagination. Does the fact that, again, 80% of the hospitalizations for COVID are unvaccinated, does the fact that, I mean, in Wisconsin, what's the, the death total, nine, like 9,000? We, we know that there is a, a present risk to at least some people for for covid i'm just kind of curious how do you balance that out because you're right i mean we we only had vaccines for less than a year so who knows if there's going to be an effect five or ten years from now how, how do you in your mind kind of balance that whole thing out jeff on channel 12 a local tv mm-hmm, station sure. here they did a beautiful report just yesterday at their six and ten o'clock news reports those numbers at 80 percent i don't know where those are coming from you'd have to tell me the, the president of Freighter had to be pressed a couple of times in that interview. You know, a majority are unvaccinated. And, and then he finally, well, I, I think 88%. And then other hospitals that the reporter contacted was told, we don't collect that data. Where are you getting your data and touting this 80% are unvaccinated? I think those numbers are highly suspicious for whatever reason. I've got my own opinions, but I highly doubt the accuracy of that information. Okay, thanks for call. I appreciate it. And again, this is some people are saying, well, why are you not challenging this call? No, I, I, the, the purpose of this segment is to expand and, and kind of open a window into what people who've made the decision not to get vaccinated are thinking. Now, I, I do think there's this attitude out there that some people have that the folks who've made this decision, and again, it's not the decision I have made. I, I got vaccinated, got my booster shot. I, I, I am not worried about some sort of long-term effect five or 10 years from now. I, I don't, I, I don't want to get sick, and I'm, I'm back to pretty much living my life normally because I think I've done pretty much everything I can do to protect myself and the people around me, and I, I'm, I'm not – I'm not worried about it. Now, maybe five or ten years from now, I will come to regret this decision. Maybe we all will. But at least right now, there's nothing. I mean, five or ten years from now, there's all sorts of different things that I I could, you know, develop or issues that could come about that I'm quite candidly much more worried about than an adverse reaction to, you know, this, this shot. I mean, there's all sorts of other things that are there. But the purpose isn't and the point isn't to say, okay, well, if, if you haven't gotten a vaccination, that means that, you know, you're automatically irresponsible or stupid. It's a genuinely curious thing because, like I say, four out of every 10 people in Wisconsin, if you trust these numbers, ha- have made the decision not to get vaccinated at this point. And if we believe or if you believe that vaccinations are ultimately the way out of this, short of mandates, uh, which I don't believe are constitutional and aren't going to happen, I think we pretty much topped out. Now, you, you could get you know maybe one or two more percent, but the people who've made the decision not to get vaccinated, I think, are pretty much dug in on this. So if the idea is to convince more people to get vaccinated, maybe we need to rethink the strategy. As far as the hospitalizations, I'm willing to go back and look at it, but Pretty much all the anecdotal information that I have seen, not just from local hospitals, but pretty much around the country, says that the vast majority of people, whether it's 80% or 85% or 75%, the vast majority of people who are hospitalized are people who are unvaccinated. 
And if you are vaccinated, your chances of developing severe complications as a result of COVID are, are slim. Now, doesn't mean, if, again, if you've got underlying health conditions, that that's, that's a whole factor. And if you're obese and you have raging type 2 diabetes and you're 85 years old, well, yeah, I mean, COVID is going to be an issue. So we got to decide, you know, is it medical misinformation or is it just people that perhaps reach a conclusion different from the one that, you know, Anthony Fauci or the World Health Organization or the CDC wants you to reach? This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Part of the problem, I think, that has led to what I will describe as the vaccine hesitancy that you, you know, had expressed by some of our texters and some of our callers over the course of the last like 35 minutes or so is, is the fact that there has been unquestionably contradictory advice since the beginning of the, this pandemic, which has come out of medical authorities. And I, I look and I, I understand that that science changes, that just because you think something is true, like at the beginning of the pandemic, that, that masks don't make a difference. So you say, well, masks don't make a difference. And then you find out that this is is airborne. Well, I mean, obviously, yeah, then 60 or 90 days later, then you say, OK, that this is this is airborne. And maybe we don't need to be as worried as we were about people, people catching covid from surfaces because it doesn't appear to be transmitted that way. So, I mean, I understand our, our knowledge of the disease is going to change and evolve over time. And as a result, medical recommendations need to change. I, I get that. Part of the problem, though, and this, I think, in my opinion, it ties into our, our 24-7 sort of thing, where we don't want to wait for stuff. And, and we, we just bounce from things. Just look at what's going on with this Omicron thing. That, that Two weeks ago, nobody had ever heard about it, even though I think it's very apparent now that, for example, this Omicron variant has been in the United States. It's just nobody tested for it. But now, you know, two weeks ago, oh, well, we find this in South Africa, and everybody freaks out, and the stock market plunges and things like that. And now, well, it's, it's, it's more trans transmissible than the other variants and then it's well it's more transmissible but we think that it has less severe consequences and yeah we don't know if the boosters are going to take we don't know if the vaccinations are going to take care of it well now the thinking is yes we think maybe the vaccinations take care of it if you've got the booster but the regular vaccinations don't give you as much protection you get the idea it's all this stuff that that bounces around and I, I do believe as we move forward on this stuff Maybe we would be better off waiting at least a little bit till we we have an idea of what it is that we're dealing with, because even if you are as pro Anthony Fauci as you could possibly be, and I my beef with him, I don't think he's evil. I just think he's overexposed. And I I think he'd do well to kind of step back and maybe not do an interview, you know, three interviews a day because he ends up saying stuff that conflict that that. 
He'll say something on a Tuesday that's different than he said on a Sunday. And, and that just, I think, feeds some of this uncertainty. Maybe the lesson is, rather than people just having to speculate and say, well, we think this is going to work, or we think that's not going to work, or we have the, this one study here that might not be representative of the overall population, rather than rushing with all this stuff, we would perhaps be, be better in just taking a collective deep breath and saying, okay, we're, we're going to figure this out. And, and yes, we're going to make recommendations, but the recommendations are going to be made after we've reviewed stuff so that we, we don't end up saying one thing on a Tuesday and another thing on Friday and another thing on the following Monday. I, I think as far as instilling confidence, this this kind of rush to stuff, you know, um, ends up, I, I think it's done a, a huge disservice. And you know, you even saw that with the Biden administration where, you know, you've got the CDC that's saying one thing, you've got the Biden administration that's saying the other thing, you've got the World Health Organization that's saying something different. Maybe, you know, it would have been wiser and maybe moving forward we could understand that if we just say, look, we're we're looking at this. And we're going to try to figure this out. We're going to try to give people the best advice we possibly can. But we don't feel this need to respond, you know, uh, every other day to, okay, there's some other study out there that may or may not be valid. So this is what we're going to say. I think if there would be a more considered approach, it it might inspire more confidence in at least some of those 40 percent of the people in the state of Wisconsin who've made the decision not to get vaccinated. Looking for somewhere to watch this weekend's Packers game? Join me, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner, at the New Berlin Ale House. I will be there Sunday evening with fun games, prizes, and much, much more. Plus, you'll be able to enjoy $18 buckets of Miller Lite and $4 Vizzy varieties. It's the Miller Lite Packers Watch Party with me, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. For more information, please visit WTMJ.com. We, we have prize packages to give away. There's going to be a couple drawings, a couple really cool prizes, one at halftime and one at the end of the game. So come on out and let's watch the Packers beat the Bears together. That's the New Berlin Ale House. Uh, it starts right around 7 o'clock. I think kickoff is like 7.20 or so. But uh, our, our party starts around 7 o'clock this Sunday. Hope to see you there. All right. A lot of stuff coming up in the next hour of the program, including what do we do with this memorial out in Waukesha that's developed and... All right, shoplifting. Is it a big deal or not? We discussed. All that's coming up. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Melissa, we were talking off the air. You had that report during the, the news where <laughs> we, we, we talked about, like, the jewelry and stuff and how yes. people are, are moving away from jewelry. So what you're telling me is if I'm looking for a Christmas gift for my beautiful wife this this uh, this season, um, in addition to the, the pajamas that we've been talking about with Pajama Graham, you're, you're thinking may, maybe getting her, like, a necklace made out of, like, a stag's antler or something <laughs> like that is, is not the way to go. I couldn't believe they said uh, men's wedding rings made out of antlers, deer antlers. And I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, we looked at your ring. We're like, uh, no, 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 no. I've got, no. I've got a little silver. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very nice. It's a silver, you know, wedding band like and it. stuff like that. Right. It's, it's simple and it's, it, it suits me very well. Another yes. thing with that report, the lab created diamonds. I think you know, women love jewelry of all sorts. You can never go wrong with that. But 
I don't know, does the lab creation of that diamond take the specialness and the uniqueness and the, you know, I don't the know. Expense? All, the expense? <laughs> you know, is, is, no. is that what you're saying? Better Are these lab-created diamonds a lot yeah, cheaper than the real diamond and stuff? I would say, yeah, but, you know, I guess no one's ever going to know unless you tell them. If well, you're giving a gift. I, I don't know, right? I don't know if you if you go to scratch something with the die. I don't know. What, okay, don't know. so that's that is an interesting question. If you you get a a diamond necklace or, or diamond earrings or something as the gift, and you love them, and then all of a sudden you find out that they're 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 diamonds, but they're the lab created diamonds or something. Is that gonna you know, is that going to cause an issue down the line? I mean, honestly, if it's from someone you love, it shouldn't cause an issue. Yeah, but. But. Oh, honey, you should. Oh, uh, you know, if it's definitely if it's cubic cychronia and they tell you it's a diamond, there's an issue there. But if it's lab created, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I mean, if I'm being really picky, like you want the raw diamond, you want the, you know, perfect sort of, you know, flawless, like whatever. But. I, I'm on the fence with these lab-created okay, diamonds. Right, well, all right. So if yeah. you're buying, Melissa, I, I mean, I, 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 I take no position on 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 any of this. Uh, and I guess I don't know that much about the lab creation, but it seems like I mean, in my in my head, it seems like there's this lab and there's all these diamonds that are being created. Mm-hmm. Takes weeks, but like you know, I'm I'm still back with the like taking antlers and turning them into <laughs> wedding ra- wedding bands and things like that. It's just may- maybe I am just again too much of a traditionalist, but yeah, I kind yeah. of like my nice little silver, simple silver. Silver wedding band That's here. Okay. That, yes. <laughs> you wear that. So, but you know, I, again, I guess it's the I thought know. that counts. Definitely. I'm just, I'm trying to picture my wife on Christmas morning opening up a package or Christmas Eve whenever we open up packages. And here, honey, I, I got you, I got you a new necklace, <laughs> and it's it's like made from stags antlers or what, something what if she like said- that. I actually shot the stag myself and then <laughs> got the rings made. Well, then, then I'd be, have to be checking as to what, what woman I was giving a gift for because that would not be my wife that's out there true. shooting that. So that's interesting. All right. I want to, I want to save the taxpayers of Milwaukee County several thousand dollars and a bunch of embarrassments here. Um, and, and this is, you can mark the tape. Because I do not know that they will follow my advice, but but here's the deal: a judge. This is the breaking news. This Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Glenn Yamahiro, who um, after several months of hearings and a lot of dithering, found that he thought that there was might be probable cause to believe that former Wauwatosa police officer Joseph Mensa might be guilty of something in connection with the death of Jay Anderson in 2016. He found there was probable cause, and he announced that um, he would be appointing one or more special prosecutors to determine whether or not charges should be issued and then to pursue the charges. Well, this surprised a lot of people because... I don't think there's anybody who thinks that there's any way that Joseph Mensa will be found guilty of anything beyond a reasonable doubt. That's just, it's this, I'll I'll go through the facts really quickly, and it is a case which absolutely, totally screams reasonable doubt. This, in my opinion, was a decision driven more by politics than than anything else. But in any event, after a several-month delay, in part because I'm not sure that they how I'm not sure that there were a lot of people lining up to act as special prosecutors in this case. They announced today that La Crosse County District Attorney Tim Grunke, which is how I pr- think you pronounce it, and a uh, Milwaukee attorney in private practice, Scott Hansen, they would be appointed as special prosecutors to look at the Mensa case. Now, this isn't to say that they're going to bring charges. 
It's to say that they have been appointed to ultimately make the decision as to whether or not they can prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt. Here, here's here's my short advice to these guys: just just give it up. And and in looking at this, the the quicker you recognize that this is a case which screams reasonable doubt, the better off you will this will be. Because I believe there is no way in God's green earth that should you issue charges, which I think would be a huge miscarriage of justice, there's no way in the world that you would get a conviction. Keep in mind, this shooting by Joseph Mensah back in 2016 has already been reviewed by other prosecutors who have determined there's no basis to bring charges. It has been, in fact, thoroughly investigated, and apparently other than some of the people that are intimately involved and looking at lawsuits and things like that. I don't think there's too many people that think that there's a basis for bringing charges. In my opinion, there's no basis at all to get a conviction on this. And the sooner this matter is put to bed, the better it will be. For those of you who, who haven't been paying attention to this, Joseph Mensah, of course, is the former Wauwatosa police officer who was involved in three shootings over a period of five years. I mentioned only at the beginning of this, that, that he is black. And I, I say that because it, it takes out the racial element of, of this. So this isn't a civil rights type of prosecution. There, there's not an allegation that he was out there looking to, you know, shoot black men and things like that. So I, I bring up his race only from that perspective. The 2016 incident involving Jay Anderson, um, he Mensa gets a call. Um, that there's a car that's located in, you know, a, a park. It's parked, it's the middle of the night, parked in downtown Wauwatosa, I believe. He, he approaches, so you get the call, he goes up to the car. Anderson, 25 years old, is in the car at the time. He has a handgun in the front passenger seat. Okay, so Mensa says he orders Anderson to put his hands up. Anderson raises his hand, but according to the police reports, on at least four occasions started to lower his right arm while leaning towards the front passenger seat where the gun was located. Um, the report says Anderson lunged towards the gun with his right hand, at which point in time Mensa shoots him. Now, that's, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there. You weren't there. You know, the only two people that were there were Joseph Mensah and, and Jay Anderson. But we, what we do know is you've got a guy that's in the car. He's got a, a handgun on the front seat with him. And the police officer's testimony is that he, he was he was reaching for the gun on multiple occasions, which is why I which is why I had to shoot him. I don't know what the ultimate facts are on this, but but here's the bottom line. Given this fact pattern, there is no way in the world that you will ever convince 12 people beyond a reasonable doubt that this was not a legitimate shooting. Now, I mean, again, I, I, I don't know. If you want to talk about, like, a civil case, and we talked about this a lot in the Rittenhouse situation, you know, if they bring a lawsuit, and you know, that, that's a whole different story where you've got a different burden of proof. But in order to convict Joseph Mensah of manslaughter or some form of homicide or whatever they might come up with, you have to convince a jury of 12 people beyond a reasonable doubt that he's guilty. And just like it was a difficult and ultimately a burden, a bridge way too far in the Rittenhouse case, that this case, this case is a much more compelling case than, than Rittenhouse, not for self-defense, but simply for something that, you know, how do you be, prove this beyond a reasonable doubt? So 
it's fine to appoint the special prosecutors. It's fine to take them, have them take a look at this. But if this does, in fact, result in charges, and again, you can mark the tape on this, I see absolutely no way that the special prosecutors could ever secure a conviction in this case. And I have always believed, as an ethical matter, and this is my perspective as a former prosecutor, regardless of what you think might have happened, as a prosecutor, if you do not believe that you can get a verdict of guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, you shouldn't be bringing the case in the first place. I mean, it just, if, and in this particular case, unless there is some sort of secret element that's there, some sort of hidden evidence that has not been disclosed, and I don't believe that there is, that this is, this is a case that screams reasonable doubt, it's fine to appoint the special prosecutors, but sooner rather than later, they should just say we're declining to prosecute. And if there's going to be civil lawsuits, that's fine. There's civil lawsuits. But to put the community and Joseph Mensa through a criminal trial, which in my opinion has no chance of succeeding, I think would be incredibly irresponsible, divisive for the community, and ultimately it accomplishes nothing. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. It's that time of year again. Every child deserves the best holiday experience, and this year, the need to donate toys is greater than ever. WTMJ is once again teaming up with Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas. If you'd like to help this holiday season, and we would appreciate your help. Here's what we're doing this week. Go to our website. It's WTMJ.com, and you'll, you'll see this big banner. It says Kids to Kids Christmas across the top. All right, this year we're trying to do something fun. We're competing between the different shows, the morning news show, the afternoon news show, Scafidi and mine, to see which show can donate the most toys. So when you donate, just click on your favorite WTMJ show, and then don't forget to join us this Friday for the final push. It's Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Radio Marathon Christmas Radiothon, I guess that's what we're going to call it, only here on WTMJ. So again, it's really easy. Go to the website. You know, we, this has been a big part of, of our Christmas experience for probably 12, 13, 14 years or so. I remember when John Green first, you know, partnered with Capco and came up with this. So if you've ever had a chance to go out there and see all the toys that get generated and and then understand that they're going to be going to, you know, less fortunate children in order to make their holidays a little bit brighter, um, it's really a very, very cool thing. And we've really made it easy to donate. Like I say, go to our website and click on, click on the, the Wagner Show, for example, and then you'll be able to make a donation, and, and we'll, we'll take donations in any amount, you know, $5, $10, $50, $500, $5,000, doesn't matter. Um, it, it's going to a very, very good cause, and I know I know there's a lot of demands on people for their money, especially this time of year, and I know everybody's been very, very generous, particularly with the, um, the, the Waukesha Christmas Parade incident and the fundraising for that, but if you can see your way clear to Make a five or ten or twenty-five dollar, fifty-dollar donation. Um, it goes to the kids, and we would all very much appreciate it. Okay, speaking of the Waukesha Christmas Parade, um, ever since the the assault, the the murders that happened, there has been a makeshift memorial, which has kind of been created at Veterans Park on the corner of Wisconsin Avenue and Northwest Avenue in, in Waukesha. And what happened is for people have have come to 
come to the the memorial and it's in in the park and what they've done is they they've left mementos um there's apparently there's like thousands of items that are there and apparently it's like like 20 plus yards and you know it's six feet wide it's three feet deep and you've got people who are leaving all sorts of things i mean baseball gloves and and baseballs and and votive candles you know that have burned down and people have been leaving flowers and all sorts of things and it's it's been piling up there well we've got of course winter coming on you know it snowed for most of the area today you've got winter that's coming on and so now the question is what what do you end up doing with this. Now, if you are a regular listener of the program, you know that I have, as a general rule, not been a fan of, of some of these like roadside makeshift memorials, which have you know, popped up from time to time. You know, maybe you've got a situation where there's, you know, there's an automobile accident or child is killed or something like that. And there's these by the side of the road, all these people come and they start putting teddy bears and things like that and flowers. I, I've always, I've never been a fan of those because I think they end up being a distraction that can, regardless of what the intent is, they're they're a distraction. You know, people driving by the roadside and and look and see this. Now, where this particular memorial is, it's really, it's not a distraction, I think, to passersby on the roadways. Nevertheless, it's a situation where at some point in time, winter's coming on, they, they can't do They've got to end up doing something with it. You know, people put out flowers, incredibly well-attentioned. Well, the flowers wilt and they die. The the votive candles, they they light the candles, the candles burn down. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, moving forward, what should authorities in Waukesha do? Now, obviously, you want to be respectful Obviously, it's only been a little while since this has happened. But what sort of, should there be a permanent memorial to the the victims of this horrible, horrible series of murders that occurred in, in a Waukesha a couple weeks ago? Should there be a permanent memorial? Should we allow people to, uh, again, leave things in, in the area of the park it, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, if you've ever been there in Washington, D.C., it, it's it's what happens is if, if you walk down, you know, you stand at the steps of the Lincoln um, Memorial and then you take a right and you walk down this pathway, you, you see the wall. And anytime you see the wall, there will always be things like baseballs and uh, um, high school almanacs and yearbooks and things like that. And, and they're there. Periodically, though, the, the Park Service comes in and, and they, they clear them out. So our number, 855-616-1620, moving forward, it seems to me you you just can't allow stuff to accumulate for a, a lengthy period of time. And, and again, you, you've got winter coming on and things like that, and dead flowers and burned down candles, you, you've got to move those off. As far as some of the other things, whether it's the, the personal notes that are written and the baseballs and all those types of things, wh- what do we do with them? And should there be a permanent memorial? 855-616-1620. How do we recognize the victims, living and deceased, of this horrible incident that occurred in Waukesha a couple weeks ago? 855-616-1620. We discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Craig and Horicon. Craig, good afternoon. What do we do with all this stuff out in Waukesha? Hey, Jeff. Hey, thanks for taking my call, first yes, of all. And second of all, thanks to TMJ for calling this a Christmas parade rather than a holiday <laughs> parade. I know uh, how strongly you feel about that as well. And you are right. With with winter ahead and the layout of Waukesha. Waukesha downtown is absolutely beautiful to go through. There's no room for this. Uh, uh, and, and it's, it's a tremendous blessing from not only residents of, uh, the city and the state and, and nationally, but again, there's no room for it. Have a professional photographer take pictures, put them up in the beautiful library mm-hmm. and beautiful parks and cemeteries in, in, uh, the Waukesha area, you know, put up displays uh, where people can visit those. Uh, right now, donations to the family are so much more important, okay. and you are right. Having this stuff, uh, you know, uh, street side, especially with the, the crummy weather coming up, yeah. I, I think you make a beautiful point, Jeff, and it, it's not disrespectful. No, no, it's, no. Yeah, no, th- no, thanks we, for the call, Craig. Memorialize yeah. it and, 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 and put it somewhere to where people can appreciate it. Thank you for taking my call, well, Jeff. Craig, Merry Christmas. Merry Craig. Christmas to you as well, Craig. Yeah, I, I guess that's it. And I don't mean to be insensitive about this, and, and I'm really not. And I, I, I think the outpouring, both in terms of the money that's been donated and, and the caring, is just, it is a tribute to people around here. I guess part of the problem is you, a lot of, a lot of the stuff that people leave out there, it's just, it, it's not meant to be out in the elements. I mean, again, you know, flowers die. You know, the votive candles burn down. Stuff gets destroyed by being in the rain and the snow and things like that. And if you, if you don't cull it, if you don't remove things like that, well, all, what you have is a messy eyesore. So, I mean, I, I think we are now getting to that point where if I were Waukesha officials, first of all, what I'd start to do is I'd, I'd start to go through it. And un- unfortunately, and this again, it's, it's not, uh, it, this is not intended to be disrespectful, but the stuff, the, the dead flowers, the, the burned out candles and, and things like that, you, you, you just gotta remove them, you gotta throw them away. I, I, I agree with Craig. First of all, I take pictures. I, I would take pictures of the whole scene right now so that you, you memorialize it. Then what I would do is that the stuff that has, again, because it, it the flowers have died, I, you know, you, you get rid of that stuff. That, that, that stuff that you can't save and that you can't salvage. I would get rid of that now, as far as some of the other stuff that, that's there, the you know the baseballs with the inscriptions and the things that you know might have a longer shelf life. Well, I think at some point in time, maybe the thing to do is to catalog it. You know, maybe maybe box it up. Now, there's a lot of stuff, and I understand it's always a difficult decision to go through and say what do we keep and what do we toss out. But the stuff that you know, um, you th- we think that maybe for future purposes that you might want to put on display in a museum or something like that, um, that you might want to have photographs and stuff at, at a more permanent memorial, that that's that maybe maybe you box it up and maybe you catalog it somehow and maybe you figure out a way to keep it. But, you know, sooner or later, and candidly, I think the answer is sooner, given the fact that you're going to have winter setting in, you, you've got to move the stuff. And and I hope people don't think that that's insensitive or disrespectful, but, you, but you've got to move that stuff. You can't just... 
let it sit out there in, in the open and be exposed to the elements. So I, I think, you know, you, you throw out the stuff you can throw out. You you box up the stuff that you might want to save for some other purpose, and then you take it over to the County Historical Society or whatever. And, and then the larger question is, and I, I think to me the answer is obvious, yes, at some point in time, I think the community wants to and should have some sort of, of permanent memorial that they end up putting in place. And I think there's multiple locations. I've been to Veterans Park out there, which is right by the end of the parade route. That That's a wonderful location. There is all sorts of space that, that's there. And, and I think clearly, you know, uh, some sort of permanent memorial would definitely be appropriate. And I think I would encourage the powers that be in Waukesha to start thinking about that if they haven't already. I'm sure they're, they're probably planning something like that. That would be, that would be the operative site of it. Something permanent that people could go out to and could, you know, remember the, the horrible events of a couple weeks ago. But as far as just letting the, the stuff that people have put around that the makeshift memorial that's there i there wasn't a rush to pull it off and, and get rid of it but now with the snow on the ground and winter coming on it seems to me it's inevitable to do that and then figure out what the permanent thing is going to be that's just me jeff wagner on wtmj This is why we cannot have nice things. It's no secret, or maybe it is a secret because it hasn't gotten a lot of attention, that over the last few years, shoplifting all across the country has been on the rise. Part of the reason shoplifting has been on the rise is the fact that in many communities, Milwaukee included, shoplifting is considered to be a very, very minor offense. I mean, you, you, you don't, you don't get, you don't get anything but slapped on the wrist for, for stealing cars around here. So, you know, going into a, a, a store and, and stealing $500 worth of stuff, well, it, it's, it's not going to get anybody's attention. Now, what is starting to get attention is all across the country, you have more and more of these organized smash and grab gangs and you've undoubtedly seen some of the the illustrations of this where you have the eight guys you know all wearing hoodies and masks and gloves jump out of the car with crowbars and baseball bats and beat in uh, the, the jewelry cases at a Nordstrom's or a Macy's or something like that, or storm into a Target or a Home Depot and in the space of a few minutes steal as much stuff as they possibly can. And so, you know, this, this is getting a lot of attention, of course, and Best Buy stores in Minnesota, Nordstrom's in Northern California, all sorts of situations. L.A. is a particular problem area as well. But you're seeing this in New York City all across the country as these flash mobs a lot of times it's driven by by social media here this is what's going to happen and so you know th- there's there's that that goes on and then you've got the underlying problem with shoplifting which is where people going in and and stealing and, and knowing that they're they're not going to have any significant consequence at at all from going in and stealing well one of the things that's happened is in these areas where there's high high shoplifting Businesses are closing. The story we talked about a couple weeks ago, um, San Francisco has been particularly hard hit by by shoplifting uh, to the point that a number of Walgreens stores are, are just closing. 
And that's the decision that Walgreens as a company has made, that, you know, so much stuff is getting stolen that we just can't keep the doors open. And we don't like to do that because we understand in some of these neighborhoods, when we close the pharmacy, that is an income. When we close the, the store, that is an inconvenience to people in the neighborhood. But it's it's just the fact of life because, well, we're getting robbed blind and we can't. You know, just continue to do this. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I, I think that one of the things that's going on here goes back to this whole concept that I talk about a lot, the whole idea uh, of broken windows. And, and this was this was a theory that a lot of us subscribed to years ago when it came to law enforcement, and that is that the little stuff matters and that if you take care of the little stuff, and by little stuff, I mean shoplifting. You know, if you take care of the broken windows, the window is broken, you fix the window, you deal with that. Otherwise, the whole building ends up becoming deserted if you just let the broken windows thing go. Same thing, I think, is true with shoplifting. If if you come down hard on the people that are stealing and you say, we're not going to tolerate this, well, all right, then then the businesses stay open. It stops people from graduating to more serious crime. Now, around here, we don't do that. I mean, I, I recognize that. Shoplifting, they just roll their eyes at. I mean, you know, like I said, in Milwaukee, they, they roll their eyes at car thefts. you got kids that can steal 10 cars in a row, and nothing's going to happen to them, and that's for stealing cars. But the effect of this on businesses not to mention people that might be in the stores when you have some of these flash mobs that descend and stuff like that. But the effect of these on these businesses is to, number one, incentivize them to close down, and number two, all of us pay for, for shoplifting. Because what ends up happening, you know, there is there's a percentage of loss that's, that's built in, and these stores say, okay, you know, we're losing 3 4 or 5% of our of our merchandise to shoplifting. Well, what we have to do is we have to figure out how we're going to make up for that, so we pass the costs on to the customers, the rest of us, who end up paying more because you've got a subset of people who are allowed to steal. And one of the things that's made it even worse is the fact that with the Internet now, it's easier to sell stolen goods. I was just looking at a story this morning about there's this guy who – what he would do is he would pay drug addicts and people like that to go in and steal things like razor blade and deodorant and shaving cream and stuff like that from a lot of convenience stores and drug stores and things like that. And then what he would turn around and do is he'd sell them all on you know various Internet sites, including some through Amazon. Uh, the guy, believe it or not, at one point in time, he sold more than 140,000 items on Amazon's marketplace, totaling $3.5 million. It was this cottage industry, because it used to be tough. If, if you had if you had stolen goods, you've got a stolen TV set, well, all right, what are you going to do? You're going to pull the truck down the alley and whistle to a couple people, come out of the bar, and maybe somebody will buy the TV set. Well, okay, that exposes you to risk. It's tougher. Nowadays, with all these Amazon sites or the Internet, you can go out there, you put this stuff on eBay. Hey, I'm, I'm selling this stuff. People don't know whether it's stolen or not. And, you know, you can end up fencing the stuff through these Internet sites. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We need to collectively recognize that theft like this, whether it's 
$500 or $5,000 or $50,000 by a smash mob. This, this is a big deal. And we need to start taking it seriously. It's not just a victimless crime anymore. It affects livability in the community. And my guess is any retailer would tell you that I'm exactly right. 855-616-1620. I think we need to start be really paying more attention to shoplifting and the theft issues because if you think we've got problems keeping businesses open now, well, if we don't get a handle on this, it's going to be a ghost town in some parts of town. Jeff, any correlation to all these cities being run by ultra-liberal leaders? I'd say there is. Well, there is an element of that. I mean, we've, we have moved over the last several years away from what I'm talking about, that this broken windows theory of trying to hold account- uh, people accountable, to saying, oh, it, this isn't a big deal. I, so, you know, so somebody goes in and steals a bunch of stuff from a Walgreens store or something like that. Well, you know, it, it's, it's not the end of the world, and Walgreens is a big corporation, and they can afford it, and, you know, it, it's not worth our time well then what happens is that 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 attitude becomes per- pervasive people understand that they can go in and steal stuff right and left and pretty soon the business makes the business decision of saying okay you know if, if we can't if we can't stop being a victim what we can do is stop the opportunity for people of stealing from us and that is by closing down the store and then of course the neighborhood goes well but this is the only pharmacy we have in a seven block area well okay fine you know maybe if the community was more outraged about members of the community coming in and and ripping stuff off constantly it would be a difference maybe if you had prosecutors who were more concerned with quality of life issues and who recognized that you know people going into stores and taking stuff that did not belong to them well you know that's a factor hey jeff insurance goes up whether it's a car or store thefts the premiums are skyrocketing and it affects law-abiding citizens oh absolutely i mean there's, there's no question about it this is it's not a victimless crime and that's one of the perceptions that are out there. And I, I firmly believe that, you know, now the latest thing is, again, the, these organized mobs that, that show up with the baseball bats and the crowbars and, and do all the destruction and steal as much as they possibly can. But I, I just think that's an outgrowth of what we've been seeing for years, which is, OK, let's let's not deal with shoplifting. And from the employer's perspective, the, the store owner's perspective, look, I get it. Their lawyers say. Don't confront. You know, we've talked about that before. They say to the security guards, your job is just to document. You know, if you've got somebody stealing something, don't get involved. Don't get physical with them because if they pull out a gun and shoot people, maybe we'll get sued. Um, it's, it's just not worth it. So let the people steal stuff. So, okay, if that's the ad, and then we don't want to get sued, we'll, we'll just document the things and then turn it over to the cops. Well, okay, that that's all well and good. So you've got the store personnel who let people steal. Then you turn it over to the cops, and the cops say, are, are you nuts? I mean, somebody just sold you know $2,000 worth of stuff. Well, don't you realize that we've got all sorts of other crime that we catch, and the DA's office just turns the people loose anyways? Why, why are you even bothering? So it becomes this sort of vicious cycle where there's no accountability at all. And first of all, it's the stores that are the victims. Secondly, it's the rest of us consumers who pay for that theft. And thirdly, it's the communities when the stores finally say enough is enough, we're closing down. I mean, there are there are some 
shopping centers and shopping areas in the metropolitan area that I, I think are very, very vulnerable. And they don't they don't advertise it. I think in many cases they are encouraged not to file police reports involving shoplifting with the police because they become public and they don't want to give the idea that the problem is as prevalent as it really is. But, you know, when you see stores closing in certain areas and you don't think theft is one of the factors, well, I don't think you're paying attention. All right, lots of stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour, including a topic that I think is going to be a lot of fun based on something that happened last night. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Yeah, the, um, okay, so it's the sun is shining. We had some snow this morning, Melissa. This is the, this is the type of snowfall that my little dog just absolutely loves because she, she loves to go f- play in the snow, but she's little. She's only like six, six pounds. So, but th- this amount of snow is just perfect because she could like run through it and she loves to play snowplow and stuff. So and we spent not, about 15 um, minutes. Yeah, it's not really cold out. Right. I mean, it's thir- not, like around 30. Right. Not overpowering. So she That's had, so a, she had a fun time this, this morning. Yes. It, it's, it's less fun. <laughs> in February when there's yes. like the four foot snowbanks and stuff and the dog will look at me and say, Dad, you go pee in that snowbank, you know, chill. right in the yeah. windshield and stuff. But 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 today was absolutely fine and really our, our first, I think, measurable snowfall, at least certainly where I'm living. But I, I want to give you, I, I want to be, because this is me, I want to be that glass is half full guy. So um, right now, as Melissa was saying, it's around 30 degrees, got a little bit of snow on the ground. They're talking about maybe Friday into Saturday, a, a winter weather event, could be snow, could be rain, don't know. But next week, the forecast is to get back into the 50s. So every every day, for those of us who are not fans of winter, that we get closer to spring is a day to be cherished. And um, the, the other good news is today is December 8th, right? Well, in about a week and a half, once you hit the, the winter equinox, which is December 21st, the winter solstice, the, the daylight hours start getting longer. So, I mean, that's, again, it's just a little thing, and I think it's gradual. But for those of us who hate the idea that it's dark when you wake up and it's dark when you go home, the, the daylight hours start to expand after December 21st. So we're, we're, we're getting there, you know? Think spring. Think good thoughts. Think baseball starting. Think that the work stoppage is going to be over. Think all those good things, and spring will hopefully be here before we know it. All right, there was something interesting last night, and I, I watched – Actually, some of the highlights of this over the last couple years, what they've done is they've taken a couple. Norman Lear was who turns a hundred. Norman Lear, he was the the TV producer who was responsible for some of the most groundbreaking and popular TV shows in history. He was the guy behind All in the Family, for example, and and Maud and the Jeffersons and Good Times. You know, if you if you were watching TV in the seventies, you you know about Norman Lear, and it was kind of like revolutionary, groundbreaking TV. Norman Lear was also responsible for some other shows like. Um, different strokes and the facts of life and things like that. Well, what they had on last night was they they had on live versions of different strokes and the facts of life. And and what they did is they recast them because in the case of um, facts of life, all all the original performers except uh, different strokes, all the original performers except one have passed away. So what they did is they recast them and then live, live, 
what they did is they had the the shows. They'd pick a script that was done in the 1980s, and they'd come and they'd, they'd restage it with different actors and things like that, and, and they'd do it live. And, you know, yesterday's shows, I saw some clips. Jennifer Aniston from Friends apparently did like a walk-on on one, and it was, it was very, very well-received. This isn't the first year they've done it. Last year, I think COVID kind of took, a, took away from it, but they've done live restagings of All in the Family. They've done live restagings of uh, the Jeffersons as well. And, and it's a way of, of kind of going back for nostalgia. On top of that, people, you know, the, the idea is that if, if something worked before, it, it, it means that it'll work again. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes that, that's not. But part of the thing that's going on now is that we, we have all these different streaming services. We've got the networks. There is an incredible demand for, for entertainment. You know, if you've got, you've got the, the service, you've got Peacock or Hulu or, um, Amazon Prime or, you know, you, you name it, you know, it's out there, Disney Plus. And there's this demand for live entertainment more than just theatrical movies. So you have to fill that. And one of the ways that they've started filling the void is to talk about bringing back and rebooting old TV shows. So, for example, Fantasy Island, remember that TV show? Well, I mean, that came back to Fox. They did a limited run, Fantasy Island, last summer. Uh, the French Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, that's going to be coming to Peacock pretty soon. The Wonder Years, well, they're doing that, except this time with a black cast. That That's on ABC. They're rebooting on Disney+. Plus. They're rebooting the Doogie Howser show, except it's going to be a, a change in, in gender. Little House on the Prairie coming back to Paramount TV um, next year. Frasier coming to Paramount TV sometime in 2022. Kelsey Grammer is going to reprise that role. Um, the Sex in the City. TV show. Um, they're, they're redoing Sex in the City. They're bringing it back with three of the four regular former characters. The show's now called And Just Like That, but it picks up on you know, Sex in the City when that ended like 10 years ago. Uh, Nash Bridges coming back. That's the Don Johnson show. Dexter, you know, the show about this serial killer that that's that aired on on Showtime. That's now back. They're showing new episodes of Dexter and it goes on and on and on. Battlestar Galactica um, being brought back. Peacock probably next year. And of course, this there's other shows that they've had on as well. Um, Lost in Space has been rebooted. So you've got all these old TV shows which are being rebooted in part because I, I think sometimes Maybe people are out of ideas for the new shows, but also there is this familiarity. People saw the shows, they like them. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, let's have some fun. What TV show would you like to see rebooted and brought back? Now, you got to understand that in many cases, if it's a reboot, that means that um, it's not going to be the same characters. Now, with Frasier, yeah, they can bring Kelsey Grammer back, but... For example, a show like Different Strokes, uh, with the one exception uh, of the, one of the performers, everybody else has died. So, you know, if you're going to bring it back, you're going to bring it back in a different setting. The um, One Day at a Time, they brought that show, that was rebooted, and it was done with an Hispanic cast as opposed to, you know, the Valerie Bertinelli um, and the Valerie Bertinelli show. So 855-616-1620. All right. 
in recognition of what they did last night, if you get to have a TV show that is rebooted, what would you like to see? We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There is this incredible demand, an insatiable demand that us consumers have for, for entertainment. And in order to fill that, I think a lot of, a lot of these content providers are sort of out of ideas. There, there's only so many new ideas that, that are out there. So one of the things that they're doing is they're going back to stuff that, that worked before. So you're seeing, I think, more than ever, you're seeing the, these reboots of various TV shows. Now, in some cases, like the Frasier reboot that's scheduled for next year on Paramount+, Plus, it, it's going to, to feature the, the cast. Now, the, the guy that played the dad, John Mahoney, passed away, so he's not going to be part of it, but it, it's going to have you know Kelsey Grammer. In other cases, like The Wonder Years, which is on ABC, what they've done is they've completely redone the, the show. I mean, it's set at the same time period, but they've got a completely different cast, and they're putting it from the perspective of, of the black expense. Dexter on Showtime, that's the serial killer show, never quite got into it, but a lot of people liked it. They brought it back, and they've just picked it up. Let's show where the serial killer Dexter is 10 years later. They just kind of pick up without missing a beat. What show would you like to see rebooted? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and um, text line. Jeff, since all these sitcoms are being rebooted, I'd watch Third Rock from the Sun as long as the original cast, cast returned. John Lithgow and company were hilarious as aliens trying to be humans. Jeff, uh, Columbo. Peter Falk was great. I wonder who they try to get to play that part. Yeah, that that's part of the thing. Some shows are so dependent on on the central character. I mean, could you could you recreate Columbo with, without Peter Falk? And, and the answer I think would be no. A couple people were saying you'd love to see the Andy Griffith show rebooted. Well, I, I don't know. That was such an iconic show. Without without Andy Griffith and Don Knotts, could you recreate the show? And and my answer is is probably no. Whereas some of these shows that aren't aren't necessarily as specific or as character-driven. They're, they're talking about bringing Little House on the Prairie back. And I guess on the one hand, you think, well, you know, how could you do that without Michael Landon? But on the other hand, my guess is you know, maybe, maybe you could pull that off. 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, I think, uh, let's see, Hogan's Heroes. Well, Hogan's Heroes was always a stretch. It was controversial in the 1960s when it was on about, you know, a comedy set in a German prisoner of war camp. My guess is in today's day and age, probably not going to see that. How about trying Westerns again? Bonanza and Gunsmoke. Well, you know, you could you could you could if you could recreate Little House on the Prairie, you could certainly recreate um bonanza golden girls um well that's again the, the all the principles from the golden girls i think one exception have all passed away but at the same time yeah you you could you could reboot something like that uh jeff i loved criminal minds i would be thrilled if it came back well criminal minds is coming back that's going to be on uh dick and grafton says hill street blues which at the time was one of my 
very, very favorite shows when Hill Street Blues aired back in the 1970s. Jeff, the Big Bang Theory, the last episode, you know, ended with Penny being pregnant. I'd love to see how it turned out. I don't know about the Big Bang Theory, but they are talking about bringing back How I Met Your Mother with a completely and totally new cast. So, you know, they're doing um, that idea. Jeff, I would love to see MASH in current time. Um, well, I mean, MASH was so particular with the with the Korean War. I, I don't know that you could. And again, MASH is, again, one of those things that, yeah, yeah, I understand you had the MASH movie and you were able to recast it and turn the MASH TV show in. But the characters ended up becoming so iconic. Jeff, I've got two. Three's Company or the Dukes of Hazard. Hmm. Three's Company or the Dukes of Hazard. Well, again, you want to talk about politically incorrect. That would certainly be what happened if you went with the Dukes of Hazard, especially if you would have the General Lee Carr. Three's Company, Three's Company's possibility. Number of people are saying married with children. <laughs> yeah, you you could, uh, you know, you talk about politically incorrect. That's there. Jeff, Barney Miller, I think, would work. Well, I think there's a lot of things to be said about that. You could do Barney Miller. Laverne and Shirley. Love to see that op, um, updated. Yeah, okay. A couple people asking for Battlestar Galactica. That's coming back. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. That is a blast from the past. You could certainly do that. If you could reboot Lost in Space from the 60s, you could certainly reboot um, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. So in, in any event, you, you've got all that stuff going there. This is going to be the trend. You're going to see more and more of this as they try to figure out where to come up with content. And the easier thing is, well, you know, this worked before. Maybe it will work again. I think it, it's probably a trend. My guess is it's going to burn out after a couple of years, and then you're going to start coming out with new ideas. But if you've got those old shows that you'd like to see come back again with new casts or reimagined, uh, stick around. This might be the golden age of television for you. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.